1: This is Not Your Century. This is Not Your Century, where we celebrate the news and the news media of centuries gone by. I'm King Kaufman. I gotta be honest with you people. The people who left here after day two, they're talking smack about you. They were saying, let's see the day three people talk that. I don't think so. Well, let's show them, let's show them how it's done. Welcome to day three of Not Your Century Live! All right. All right. Well, I want to get to my next guest. He is the author of Cool Gray City of Love, 49 Views of San Francisco. For some reason, it's always 49 with San Francisco. And he also writes the Chronicle's column, Portals of the Past, which I consider not your century's big brother, and I consider my big brother also Gary Camillo. Thank you, you, Ken. Gary, and now uh, Portals of the Past actually came out of Cool Gray City of Love, did it not? Yeah, uh, I wrote Cool Gray City first, although
0: Portals actually appeared before Cool Gray City was published. But, you know, the, the research on Cool Gray City inspired me to pitch to the Chronicle an idea of a uh, weekly history column and amazingly and wonderfully they took it and I've been doing it for six years. So it's, uh, it's, uh, it's been a it's gra- really great, great run.
1: It's really great. So these hidden stories of San Francisco and I asked you to give us your favorite story and you mentioned the story of this place. It would be really good if we had some creepy music here. Tell us about this little corner of San Francisco. It's, it's a big, creepy house, folks so at home. So
0: this is, if any of you have seen what is universally regarded as the greatest movie ever shot in San Francisco, Vertigo. And the weirdest scene in Vertigo, and this is not me saying this, this is an eminent Hitchcock scholar, Donald Spato, says the strangest scene in this very strange movie takes place in this building, and if you remember the movie, Madeline, the character <clears throat> played by Kim Novak, who thinks she's possessed by this, this Hispanic woman named Carlotta Valdez, she goes to the Mission Dolores Cemetery to commune with her, and she's followed by Jimmy Stewart, Scotty, the detective. And he trails her across town, she goes up to the Palace of the Legion of Honor... And then she drives over to this very weird, large, creepy building, which actually stood at the corner of Goff and Eddie, right across from a large church, which also does not exist anymore. And we see her go in, we see her in the movie go in, and then we see her appear in the second story. Jimmy Stewart pulls up, parks his car, goes in, and when a classic weird Hitchcock it's a middle-aged lady who's running this place called the McKittrick Hotel is looking up from polishing her olive, uh, polishing her plants with olive oil. And she looks up and Jimmy Stewart says, uh, could you tell me wh- uh, who, what room is that lady staying in that just came in? She goes, oh, she's staying up on the second floor, but she's not here. There
1: she is.
0: Yeah, and there she is. There That's she the is, actual shot the of her looking out the window that appears in the film. And she goes, oh, no, but she's not here. You see, I would have seen her. I've been polishing my plant this whole time. And if anyone up this through this foyer, I would have seen her. And there's this elegant, opulent foyer with beautiful, polished wood. Jimmy Stewart's like, oh, uh, well, can I go up and see for myself? So he goes up the stairs. He looks. There's nothing in the room. Then he says, well, what about... She just drove up. Where's her car? And the lady says, what car? She's driving this beautiful green Jaguar. And they look out, and there's no car. Jimmy Stewart leaves. That is the end of the scene, and in classic Hitchcock fashion, this scene is never explained. There is no resolution of what happened in this scene in Vertigo. And Hitchcock called these things that he would routinely put into his films icebox moments, by which he meant that I wanted people as they rummaged through the icebox for a beer, you know, it's like the Honeymooners or something, you know, after the film to say, what the hell happened with that scene in the McKittrick Hotel? Was she there or not? So, you know, there's only three things that could have happened. Either she was there and she somehow slipped out, and people are so obsessed with vertigo, there's a whole bunch of theories, oh, she went out the back door and he didn't see her. Or it could have been that she was never there, in which case, why was this in the film? You know, was it a hallucination? Or some completely alternative universe was taking place. So it's never explained. But that scene and that hotel got me really interested in this building. So I started to research it. And I found out the address and the first thing I found out was that the name that was given in all the source books was actually an incorrect name. It was always called the Fortman Mansion with one N. And then when I started to research who Henry Fortman was, the guy that, that uh, actually bought the, the house, he was not the original owner. His name was spelled with two N's. But then when I researched it more, I found this incredible story, and the story is actually worthy of Hitchcock. It's, it's a completely eerie, bizarre tale that covers the whole sweep of San Francisco history within this one strange building in the Western
1: edition. Well, thanks, Gary. Thanks for joining us. No, wait. wait. You should probably tell that story. <laughs> Thank you, King. I'll play tennis with you anytime. The,
0: uh, so, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a pretty bizarre tale. So it turns out this building was built in eight, 1879 when the Western Edition was just starting out as a swanky neighborhood. It was an upscale San Francisco neighborhood, and it was built by an esteemed California citizen named John Conley. And John Conley was from Plumas and Butte County. He founded the Bank of Chico. He was a pillar of the community, and he built this 18-room mansion, this beautiful mansion. There are many mansions in the Western edition at this time. and But his sons turned out to be complete ne'er-do-wells. They were both really bad eggs, and they began to draw down, after he died, they began to draw down on their mother's money, they were constantly writing checks on her account, and she was like, well, I'm, I'm too embarrassed to stop these checks until she appeared in court, and all she had left was a watch that was left. So and after they spent all the money, one of them turned to fraud and was arrested for defrauding a woman in Berkeley, promising to sell her land for $8,500 that didn't exist. And in one of my favorite lines, again from the Chronicle, she was he was last seen roaming around in the interior well
1: that at the, the interior at, of what the, the interior of california oh, yeah
0: okay. <laughs> somewhere so but the the building not the, house. the building did not last long it was then sold after after this all happened i think in 1895 or something to this german immigrant named henry fortman and he was the reverse story, a very classic San Francisco story, because the John Connolly story was a classic story of a, you know, a, a well, a, a upright man whose children squandered his estate. But the, the German story, the people that bought it afterwards, was a classic story of immigrant success. The original immigrant founded one of the first breweries in San Francisco, at 4th and Tahama, and he was an original member of a German shooting club, which is a really popular thing. All the ethnic uh, groups in San Francisco had these kind of ethnic organizations, and this was a German shooting club. And there's a photograph that appears that shows him, the original immigrant, and this little boy holding a rifle. The little boy was the son who ended up buying this house, and he became a huge magnate in San Francisco, and he made billions of dollars. So he's going along living happily there for many years, but then this huge change happens in San Francisco that I'm sure many of you know about, which is probably the ultimate disgrace and uh, you know, horrible thing that happened in the history of San Francisco, which was the redevelopment and the destruction of the Western edition, which is where
1: this house existed. They do know about this because they heard the May 22nd episode of Not Your Century. Excellent. Good. Excellent. Well,
0: it's a really sad and and terrible tale. And uh, I won't go into it at great length, but uh, basically in their wisdom, this happened all over the United States, uh, the powers that be decided that blighted neighborhoods needed to be knocked down and replaced with modern housing. Often this meant neighborhoods filled with African-American people and other minorities that were poorer. And yeah, these neighborhoods had some crime issues and some, they were run down, but they were living neighborhoods and they were simply raised. But that didn't happen for a while. This idea began right after World War II. So in 1946, this guy Fortman, the wealthy German guy, the neighborhoods beginning to decline... And he has moved out of this house, and he's now living, and it's weird, I've I've never called the Pacific Union Club to ask them how this worked out, but he was actually living in the Pacific Union Club, which is that crazily swanky brownstone, the only surviving house of Robbers Row on California and Taylor. So he was living there. He died the next year. Then his house gets sold, and it goes through a whole bunch of strange permutations, that I tracked down through City Hall and through real estate circulars and, and block books. And it's owned, my favorite is, it's briefly owned by the Golden Gate Commandery, which is a chapter of the Knights Templars Association, <laughs> which just somehow seems so perfect for an Alfred Hitchcock, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. building. I'm sure Hitchcock had no idea about it's just any just of it.
1: Just an empty house. At, at yeah, he, it was just yeah, a vacant house. Right.
0: He, when Hitchcock went there, he just it. It may have been still a rooming house at the end of its days, because in 1957, in the San Francisco directory, it's listed as a residence club lodgings. This is after briefly, for two years it was occupied by Harold Heakin, whoever he was. (laughs) And he actually ran some kind of office machinery thing on Market Street. But so basically Hitchcock, when Hitchcock took it over and made it into his set for this bizarre moment in the film, it actually is kind of like the McKittrick Hotel. It's a a run-down lodging house. house. So he's not really that far wrong from what it is. But this is now when it really goes into its most surreal period, because in 1959 and 1960, the redevelopment of the Western edition, which James Baldwin famously said, urban renewal means Negro removal. and The Negro removal and the urban renewal began in earnest in 1959 and 1960, in what was called Area A of the Western edition, and they began to knock all these buildings down. But, so we have this 28-square-block area that's basically filled with these beautiful old dilapidated Victorians that are either no longer occupied or they're somewhat occupied, and they're like ghost houses... And kids are hanging out in there, and what they used to call bums and hobos are hanging out in there. And they're drinking, and the kids are, like, lighting fires and partying. And then the wreckers are coming and knocking them down and removing the copper and fittings. And the, uh, so what happens is all of, there's incredible numbers of cases of arson in the Western edition. It's one of the weird, unknown stories of this tragedy of this destruction of this neighborhood of San Francisco there's this kind of surreal two year period where like just it's like vandalism is running amok nobody owns them nobody cares they're going to be destroyed anyway so this house that was this weird hitchcock house one night in 1959 i think it is in july yep. the uh, it, like, this is a great photograph of it that appeared in the chronicle that's that's it it's on the uh, north west corner of Goff and Eddy, where a soccer field for Sacred Heart High School now stands. And the upstairs of it burned. The whole building didn't burn. They saved it for about a year. And then either in 1959 or 1960, it was knocked down. And I went to the redevelopment agency to try to find out when. And there's like no record of it because the redevelopment agency was dissolved by the state of California. And their archives are like really confused and almost non-existent. And I looked through as much as I could. But there's no it seems fitting though that this for this bizarre building that plays this great role in a Hitchcock film, that it sort of vanishes without a trace. But anyway, that was a fun, a fun one to uncover for the Portals column that I that I do for the Chronicle, because it was something that no one had found before. And it's, you know, it plays an important role in this great movie. So, and it tells a great San Francisco
1: story. So that was a lot of fun. That's the kind of thing you get in both Portals of the Past and a great book. Uh, cool Gray City of Love, 49 Views of San Francisco. Gary Camilla, thank you. Thank you, King. Thank you. This has been Not Your Century, a production of the San Francisco Chronicle. Audrey Cooper, Editor-in-Chief. Get great journalism today at sfchronicle.com. I'm King Kaufman. Talk to me on Twitter at King underscore Kaufman. We now return you to your century.